0: It's time now for the Lamb Macerlane Legal Show. Each show heard every other Thursday at 1230 will feature different lawyers and their guests from the law firm of Lamb Macerlane. And now your hosts today are Lamb Macerlane attorneys, Jim Sargent and Guy Donatelli. They'll be discussing business divorce. Hello, I'm Jim Sargent
1: and uh, I'm Guy Donatelli. We're both from the firm of Lamb Macerlane
0: in Westchester, Pennsylvania. We're here to talk about a program we call How to Say Goodbye. We're talking about corporations, legal liability companies, and partnerships. Other business forms may apply as well.
1: And really the focus of our um, conversation are business divorces. Uh, if you've uh, been lucky enough to meet someone that um, you go into business with uh, and you um, you have a relationship, and then you want that relationship to end. There are there there are right ways and wrong ways to do that. The right ways are easy if you take the proper precautions, and the wrong ways are expensive and drawn out if you do not.
0: The analogies to a, a matrimonial divorce are important because, as in uh, domestic divorces, in business divorces, the the rules are clear. They're equally clear in both of the arena. Uh, each party should be treated fairly. The courts have uh, a whole range of decisions for years and years which have come up with the same conclusions. Um, and uh, it doesn't matter whether the background of the divorce or the separation is is a personal issue, it's a matter of personal pride. If It always is emotional, just as in the domestic area.
1: And I think the conversation that we're going to have applies to large multinational companies or small uh, local companies. We watched uh, an organization like WeWork uh, basically uh, disintegrate before our eyes, and you have local businesses, uh, landscapers, painters, builders, uh, professionals like attorneys and doctors who suffer uh, the same uh, sort of uh, trials and tribulations as it relates to uh, a business dissolution so we 're going to go down that road and and I guess my first my, the first question i 'd have for Jim because Jim is the chairman of our of our litigation department and has a very rich and deep history in these types of things and I would ask him to to focus initially on the importance of of organizational documents before folks even get together uh, uh, to go into business
0: well, organizational documents uh- is a broad topic, Uh, obviously. I mean, at the very um, most basic level, it has to do with the documents you file with the Secretary of State in Pennsylvania or in any other state, and uh, those documents establish the form of the business entity. It could be a corporation. It could be an LLC. It can be a professional corporation, and the rules apply across the board essentially to all of those uh, business forms. Uh, moving away from the, the rudimentary documents, um, there are documents that each separate corporation should adopt. Many don't, and just uh, not just uh, corporations, but LLCs and PCs. Many uh, owners of those ty- types of organizations neglect to adopt basic documents which they should have. For example, you should have a partnership agreement or a members or shareholders agreement. You should have buyout provisions in those documents. And essentially looking to the possibility that in the future one member might want to retire, move on, or there might be a dispute between the principles of the entity. It's very important to do that. It's kind of like preventative medicine. Uh, the analogy would be a prenuptial agreement in a marriage. Few people do that, but it's good to address what happens if the relationship ends and how you're going to deal with your um, co-principal, co-owner, co-partner in a fair and reasonable fashion. You should also have in those agreements a dispute uh, mechanism agreed to, And, and we'll get to that in a moment. Another form of agreement is an operating agreement. That agreement tells you how you're actually going to operate the company, you know, how you're going to elect officers, how you're going to elect directors, how many people there're going to be in those positions. Um, you also clearly have to have an agreement on who you're going to use as accountants, attorneys, bankers, etc. It's uh not unusual, and guy and I have seen this again and again for people to set up a company, whatever the business form, to actually sign the various documents which um, would help them govern that entity over the next period of time, and as soon as the ink is dry on the documents, walk away from them and never look back
1: that that's a, that's a one, that's a wonderful point. Uh, in our practice, we've seen folks who go into business together. They have all of the necessary documentation. They have uh, uh, drafted provisions as to what would happen if there was a dispute or what would happen if uh, someone wanted to buy the other person out. uh, And they don't conduct their business uh, uh, consistent with those documents. For example, we had a... uh, we had a case where uh, every year the documents provided that the business was to be valued uh, by a professional, uh, and so you could ascribe a value to the shares of that business. Uh, and uh, if one partner wanted to buy the other partner out, uh, you would simply go to the most recent appraisal of the value of that business, and that would be the purchase price. Well, they didn't do that for years for years every year when they should have gotten an appraisal they did not uh and uh, for whatever reason they weren't being advised to um be consistent with their documents and then when one of them wanted to leave uh we spent a year and a half <clears throat> in court trying to figure out how to uh, uh calculate the value of uh of the company and the uh and the price for the buyout so if you have the documents uh make sure you review them Regularly, or have your attorney or accountant review them regularly, and make sure that you comply with them. Uh, they're a good roadmap uh, for uh, business, and it'll you'll be you'll be uh, happy that you did that if and when you decide to part company.
0: Yeah, it's um, a little like brushing your teeth. Uh, you do it every morning and every evening because the dentist tells you to do that. Uh, your lawyer should be telling you to meet every year, have an annual meeting, go over the documents, make sure you are you understand what the documents say, make sure you're following the organizational documents for the company. If there's a valuation provision, uh, make sure you're actually valuing the interests in the company on uh, an annual basis so that if there is a dispute, you know where the roadmap leads you. It's very important to follow these things. And we have, uh, in the case, in one of the cases that we've had, uh, and Guy may have been mentioning it a moment ago, uh, what what we had to rely upon was a post-contract course of conduct. So the court looked not at the words of the documents, but looked at how the parties had acted over 24 years to decide what the agreement was between the parties. You don't want to be in that position because, then you almost have to go into court. And really, while we're lawyers, uh, one of the purposes that Guy and I both believe in, uh, one of the objectives is uh, to guide clients so that they don't have to use the courts, don't have to use our legal services all the time. So preventative medicine in this context is very important.
1: Yeah, agreed. And I think that's a good segue into uh, the next area we want to discuss. We've sort of uh, touched on some of the practical aspects of going into business, uh, whether it be a partnership, or a corporation, or a limited liability company, and we use, we're we're going to use those terms somewhat interchangeably, or else we'd be here for three hours trying to differentiate between the various uh, types of organizations. But you, you have to recognize that, the, that there is a, a fairly well-developed body of Pennsylvania law uh, that governs the rights uh, that uh, owners of businesses have, especially as those rights relate to, to other owners. And uh, I'll give a couple of examples, and then I'll ask uh, Jim t- to weigh in. Um, th- there are voting rights that owners may have and should have. The law is clear as to how those owning rights, ownership rights, are to be voted and, and uh, uh, how they're to be respected. Uh, there are certain uh, ownership rights that accrue uh, to, to shareholders and partners and members of limited liability companies, and you have to make sure that your consultants, your lawyers, your your accountants, your your, your business professionals, uh, make you aware of what those are so that you can operate uh, consistent with uh, Pennsylvania law. If you have a corporate checking account, and this may seem, this may seem uh, fairly fundamental because it's sort of the way people do it at home, but if you have a, um, a corporate credit card or a corporate checking account uh, or if there are, is some corporate approvals for a particular person to do that, then that is the person who needs to sign the check or use the credit card or place the order or pay the invoice. And so it's important that uh, you recognize that the law will imply certain obligations to each owner, even if the owners themselves believe that they're doing doing it the right way.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting um, sort of granular um, point that, that Guy just made. I mean, what we see happening... Uh, not infrequently, is that one of the owners of a company, a business, will uh, end up being in charge of of all of the business um, uh, activities so that that person will be the person with the signing authority on the checking account, maybe the person who has um, made arrangements for telephone numbers, for Internet for all sorts of other services, and all of those providers only recognize that one person, that one owner, as being able to speak for the company. Um, that puts the other uh, partner or owner in uh, a difficult situation if if the breakup occurs, and and that sort of specific detail should be addressed in the operating agreement. And really, if uh, a a partner, the other partner wants to protect him or herself, he or she has to make sure his name appears on all of those um, contracts with service providers in order not to be, um, you know, f- at the short end of the stick. Now, what happens here typically is, um, you know, regardless, and, and I've used the term partner, but I'm really talking about a principle of an entity, regardless of who is actually in power, uh The law follows the percentage of ownership. Now, you can be a minority shareholder in one of these, or a minority owner in one of these entities. You still have rights, and the law recognizes those rights. Sometimes when a majority shareholder or owner has come to me and complained about the minority owner um, of the company, I've told that majority owner that, in, in a sense, he works for the minority, and this is because the law imposes a duty on everybody who is a co-owner of a business entity to act in good faith with respect to the other owner, to honor, a, a trust, confidence, to act with the highest degree of honesty and loyalty. In a sense, the law says you've got to treat your own interests the same way you treat the other shareholder owners' interests. So it doesn't really matter whether you're a 50-50 owner or a minority owner of the business entity, you should be treated the same way by your partner, co-owner of that entity. So one shareholder owner can't go into the other's office and say, you're fired, can't lock the door and change the locks, can't lock the person or freeze the other person out of the business. That's against the law. And uh, there's the old maxim: possession is nine-tenths of the law. Sometimes you have to go into court to get the person who's in control to step down from that position. The law is pretty clear in Pennsylvania that if you are a co-owner, you have co-equal rights. Right.
1: So so I don't, I don't want to get granular again, but I'm going to. Um, Let's take what we've learned and try to apply it to a particular situation, and it's one that I was talking about with Jim earlier in the week. You have uh, two individuals who go into business uh, uh, to do a, a food truck. Very popular these days. I get a lot of food there when I'm in Philadelphia. Um, one person drives the truck. The other person cooks the food. They're 50-50 partners. And, they, and uh, because they work hard and they have a good idea and a good product, they start doing great. All of a sudden, and they're 50-50, all of a sudden, the driver of the truck, he says, I know the route. I can do this without him. And the, the, the cook says, uh, well, I'm making all the food. I can, I can do this without her. Uh, and all of a sudden, you have one owner uh, believing that all of the success uh, that they've had has been uh, his, and the other one believing hers. Uh, and that's the importance of having... Uh, a good set of documents setting forth what the rights and obligations of folks are. Um, So can you just take that truck and go to another uh, 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 cook or chef for the food? I would say if you've done your documents right, you can't. I would say that, that, that you should look at protecting yourself against that type of dispute with an owner, because... In in most of these businesses, especially small businesses, especially small family-owned businesses, and Jim may want to touch on that, um, united they stand and divided they fall. And we've seen it time and time and time again. Without the proper documentation, without the proper understanding of uh, what's provided for in those documents, without understanding what what your obligations are to your co-owner, you can end up... Uh, watching everything you've you've worked to create disappear, and uh, you're going to end up in court. You're going to spend a lot of money on lawyers and other consultants when really you should be out there uh, uh, doing business, making money, enjoying what
0: enjoying what you've set up. I think it's important for people to understand that in Pennsylvania, as in uh, anywhere in the United States, you don't have to have a written document to have an agreement you can have a handshake agreement and in the food truck situation guys referred to you could have two people who got together and pooled resources and created this food truck and drove it around without any documentation whatsoever and in that instance if they they fall apart the relationship falls apart there may be no alternative but to go into court and tell a judge or a jury what the understanding was and lay out the facts and let the court decide what the agreement was and how the business should be divided up. And the point is, you should prevent that scenario from unfolding by having appropriate documents that tell, uh, lead the way, show the roadmap. One of the things I want to point out, though, is that, uh, and I mentioned this earlier, in those documents you can decide what remedies you want if things fall apart. And one of the remedies I f- think is particularly uh, useful today is mediation, where you get an impartial third party who is qualified to tell either side, you know, what is good and what is bad about their position, and help the two parties negotiate to a resolution. That has been very effective in my experience. A lot of people like to put arbitration clauses in, and I'm not as uh, high on arbitration clauses, because you end up paying the arbitrators a lot of money to arbitrate the case. You may be better off going into court. And and let me just,
1: just for those of you who may not have had Experience in arbitration. It's it's a it's another form of dispute resolution outside of the courtroom. So you don't go to court. You don't go to the justice center here in, in Westchester. You 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 don't have a, a, a person in a black robe or a jury making the decisions. An arbitration is a, a, a group of, uh, of individuals who are selected by the parties. Uh, they could be lawyers. They could be accountants. They could be people in the industry. Uh, who, to whom you present your, your beef and who make a binding decision. And, and I'm, I sort of agree with Jim. I've had some, some wonderful, uh, experiences in front of uh, arbitration boards, uh, quick, bright, uh, uh well-reasoned opinions, um, uh, and other times they just seem to take forever and, and no one's, and, and no one's satisfied. Jim, let, let, let's, uh, let's talk about the horror show of a of a uh, dispute between uh, uh, owners of a business. Let's talk about a receivership and a custodianship. Can you define those two things, and then we can discuss how that might be the worst of all worlds for, uh, for entrepreneurs who start their own business?
0: Yeah, well, let me just uh, lead into that a little bit. And I want to mention, uh, Guy had said, a few moments ago that a classic scenario involves a family business. We see that all the time. A family business will go on for a couple of generations and then it starts to spin apart. One of the things I want to mention, which I think is really unique, is that um, in Pennsylvania there are decisions that say that an owner of a business, let's say you know, a family business, an owner of a business who has been employed in that business for a number of years has an expectation of continued employment. That means that even if you have a majority of shareholders or owners, they can't turn around and say to the minority owner, you're fired. You no longer have employment. I think that's a very important right. But if the thing, if the case goes nuclear, both sides go into court, uh, there, there are a couple of Uh, specific remedies that are typical in these cases. One is an injunctive remedy. That's going in and seeking an order to, from the court, directed to the person who, let's say, locked all the doors and changed the locks, uh, booted someone out, said you're fired. Typically, you go into court and ask the court to order the offending party to let his co-owner back into the business, change the locks back, give the keys back, give access to the business. That's called an injunction. You can get that very quickly in Chester County, Pennsylvania and elsewhere around the Commonwealth. Uh, The second remedy you typically seek in these cases is a declaratory judgment where you ask the court to state what the rights are between the two parties to the action. Now, what Guy referred to a moment ago Appointment of a custodian or appointment of receiver is kind of the ultimate remedy that you can get in these sorts of actions. And, and, and here's my analogy.
1: Anyone who's ever been a parent and who have had two children fighting over a toy, the toy is taken from them, and they're told, neither one of you can have it. And so that's, that. again, that may be, again, granular, I think, if I know what that word means, but... Um, Very specific. Okay, very specific.
0: So Uh, (laughs) that's right, and that's exactly what a custodian does. And we've had cases where the court appoints a custodian. The custodian, with the authority of the court, rolls into town, goes into the corporate offices, and says, now I'm in charge of everything. He takes over everything. He takes over the checkbook. He takes over the communications with the customers, with the suppliers, with the banks, even with the Internal Revenue Service. And he runs the corporation, steps into the shoes of the two owners or the multiple owners and says, I'm now the company, and speaks with authority. And he can, that custodian, he or she, can run the company for years and years.
1: And and neither one of the owners, none of the owners, could like what he or she is doing. It basically takes all the initiative out of the people who built the business, and really the courts want to make sure that the entity, uh, as an entity, goes on, because oftentimes there are non-owners who are employees. They have rights. There are customers uh, who have needs that need to be met, and there are suppliers to that company um, that also have business interests in seeing that company uh, uh, operate smoothly.
0: What really rankles... Uh, owners of companies that have custodians appointed, and it's usually the owner who's taken possession of the company is that owner can no longer provide himself with special benefits from the company he may have been giving him him or herself distributions, buying him or herself fancy cars, that sort of thing, paying for travel costs all of a sudden that's cut off he he or she no longer has the ability to give himself or herself special treatment. So that's the custodian who rolls into town, takes over the reins of the company, and operates it. The receiver is an entirely different thing. And I want to refer um, just quickly to a case that I researched in the Court of Chancery, Delaware, which is a place that does a lot of corporate Uh, produces a lot of corporate decisions. It was a case called Shaw and Elting. These two people put together a company that was generating $450 million in revenue a year, and they started to hate each other. And they did all sorts of silly things back and forth over a period of time. And they hired uh, 31 attorneys from 11 law firms. And you can Better believe that they paid tens of millions of dollars of legal fees. At the end of the day, the uh, judge in Delaware said, this isn't working. Uh, There's no way that you, two can operate this company going forward. And he appointed a receiver. Now, a receiver is different from a custodian because a receiver has a very specific purpose. And in that instance, the judge said, go and sell this company take it away from the owners and sell, sell it. it for cash
1: so as a the custodian just a what a custodian would do is come on board get everything in order uh until the judge determines what the various uh, ownership and control rights are and then those reins the reins of control would be handed back uh once uh, to to the owners once that was once that was figured out but with a receivership imagine imagine uh, creating a 450 million or a, a company that that throws off 450 million dollars a year, something you obviously have to love to create, you, you're 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 bickering with the person who helped you create it, um, and that's part of the problem. I think the psychology of 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 this type of case, uh, very emotional, but. Now the judges are going to say, no, we're going to take everything you've done, your legacy, and we're going to have it auctioned uh, here at the Court of Chancery in Wilmington. And, you know, it's gone forever. You're not not going to be able to, or your kids are going to be able to have the benefit of your hard work.
0: Uh, Generally speaking, that's where the analogy between business divorce and domestic divorce ends because judges can't order sale of the family. You know, well, maybe they should do something like that. But people go on and on and on bickering over custody and uh, over alimony and over support forever and ever in those cases, which is uh, unfortunate. But in the business context, you can have uh, a custodian who steps in, tries, runs the company for a period of time. And then if it becomes clear to the judge that the two people whose company is being run by the custodian will never Come to any kind of resolution, that custodian can be converted to a receiver, and the company sold off.
1: And we've seen that. When Jim and I have actually been in cases where everybody involved in the case—the custodian, the judge, the lawyers on all sides, um, employees, spouses—you know—so basically bury the hatchet, guys. Uh, they refuse because they hate each other so much. Owner A believes it's all. It's all as a result of his effort, and owner B believes it's all as a result of his of, of, of her effort.
0: So we have mentioned as remedies uh, the concept of getting an injunction, the concept of getting a declaratory judgment, the concept of getting a custodian appointed or a receiver. It's also uh, important to note that there can be damages, and in a case where um, the owner or the majority owner in control does things which he or she should not do to the minority or the person who's not in control, there can be damages. And you can seek uh, damages for the devaluation of your interest in the corporation. You can also, for what's called a breach of fiduciary duty in Pennsylvania, seek attorney's fees and punitive damages. So the majority, the controlling owner should be very careful about not abusing his or her authority.
1: So what have we learned? We've learned that uh, you can create something that's good for everybody. You should document it correctly. You, you should live by the commitments you make in those documents. That's only fair and right that someone do that. That if you don't, the law is going to require you to do it. And that... Um, if you don't get on board with the right way of doing it you're going to be held accountable to a judge or a, or a custodian or a receiver you're going to lose what you earned and the only people really making out quite frankly is the custodian by the way who you have to pay the lawyers who you have to pay the accountants who you have to pay uh, and uh, you're going to you're going to look at uh, your bank account at the end of the day and you're going to look at your uh, uh, value of your business, and you're going to see that number go down, and you won't sleep well either, so uh, our recommendation to you is to try to do it right, try to act uh, as if it's business and not and not personal uh, and uh, if you have any questions, seek out a professional and uh, get his or her advice uh, on these very important uh, very important uh, matters that, that it'll actually affect your life
0: yeah, plan ahead. Through the appropriate documentation, or you may find yourself in a situation where you're in a knockdown, dragout dispute, and you have to say, "Was it worth it?"
1: Well, Jim, thank you for uh, joining uh, me here. Uh, Jim's a great partner; I would never throw him out, uh, at least on a weekday. He'd never try. That's right. Uh, and I'd just like to say that uh, this broadcast is for educational purposes only. It's not legal advice. Uh, if you require legal advice, you can contact uh, Jim or me uh, at uh, 610-430-8000, or you can go on our website, which is com.
0: Thank you all for listening.
1: You've been listening to the Lamb Macrelane Legal Show, heard every other Thursday at 1230 on WCHE 1520, the talk of Chester County.